This is Ethios with Bemnati Meskin from ethiospodcast.com. Ethios is a podcast that chronicles the lives and accomplishments of people of Ethiopian heritage and people of Ethiopian influence around the world. It's about what they do, how they got to where they are, and what inspires them. My guest this week is Solomon Casa, a senior technology consultant, a TV show host, and a musician. One Tuesday night after work on my suit, my consultant suit, <laughs> I went there, opened my computer, you know, presented uh, my idea on the projector, and then they were they really liked it. They were sold, and then they were like, "When can you start this show?" Salomon Casa is a senior technology consultant at Deloitte, a Fortune 500 global consulting firm. Before joining the management consulting world, Salomon worked as a software developer at the American Association of Clinical Oncology. He is also the producer and host of the Amharic TV show, Tech Talk with Solomon, which airs on Ethiopian Broadcasting Services, EBS TV, where he explores the topic of science and technology and has interviewed several highly accomplished Ethiopian Americans in the field of science and technology. Solomon just received the 2016 SEED Award, the Society of Ethiopians Established in the Diaspora Award in recognition of his extraordinary commitment to produce a science and technology show and hosting it in front of millions in his native Amharic tongue. Solomon is also working on an all-Amharic, first-of-its-kind book on the topic of science and technology. Solomon, welcome to Ethios. Thank you, Bamnit. It's good to have you, man. I appreciate that. So tell us about your childhood and and where you're from and how you grew up and what that environment was like. Just uh, a typical boy from Addis. Uh, I was born and grew up in Addis and specifically the my, the name of my neighborhood was uh, Mascara Mazoria. Uh, I think that's the name. Uh, it's between uh, Baklovit or Lancha, another landmark, and uh, Mascara Dababa. It's just in between. And that's where I grew up uh, from uh, a small family. I only have one brother. He's older than me. And just the two of us uh, with mom and dad, uh, that's how uh, I grew up in uh, my childhood. Is that there's, I remember I grew up not too far away from there. And there is a very famous soccer field in that area. And apparently that neighborhood produced a lot of really good soccer players. Is that true or is my memory, memory just... Uh... I think you're right. I think I, I think I know a couple of players who, who used to play for, you know, clubs in, 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 a, in, a, in a local clubs. Uh, and in my childhood, as any other, you know, Ethiopian kid, uh, I used to go to those fields and play uh, on the mud, you know, and then have, have a tremendous time. It's just genuinely organic joy just playing there. Even the ball was not a real ball. We used to do sometimes balls from uh, in old socks and plastics and then we stuff it in just play and have fun <laughs> remember the game pepsi <laughs> pepsi yeah <laughs> that was fun yeah i mean what games did, did we not play i mean I know, everything right? yeah. yeah so um you said you had uh you have one brother yes what was that household like did you guys um were you guys creative did you guys try to be I always try to find out what people in technology, what their childhood was like versus, you know, people in the arts or people who end up becoming accountants or doctors or what was that like? Yeah, I mean, as a child, I mean, two boys in the house, me being the little one, the little one is always the, the, tra- the troublemaker. I think that's at least that's the the, the stereotype. So, uh, but as a child, I think 
I loved doing three, uh, three, two things and then wanted to do uh, to become one thing. I think uh, the first thing is I was very technical. I always wanted to do something mechanical, something that I can touch hardware stuff, right? And I, at some point, uh, I was even messing with uh, our cassette player to take the, the dynamo out of it so that I can make a, 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 a car that can run by itself using a battery, which I was successful after a lot of trial. Before that, I used to do this Shibo Makina. You know Shibo Makina? Yeah, uh, man. Yeah, I, I mean, that, I, I was... All right, wait, I was, what, explain, you have to explain because oh there's a lot goodness. of diaspora that might not know what Shibo Makina I was, is. I was the number one boy in the neighborhood. <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, I was on a different show uh, and then You're... I was explaining this thing and then the guy who interviewed me actually found out from my childhood friends uh, and uh, he exposed me on that interview, on a TV interview, and I was like, I had to explain. Now I'm voluntarily doing it, so... <laughs> I was I was the number one dealer in the neighborhood. All right, so tell to, us tell us what a shibo makina. Yeah, is. shibo makina is you do you you use a, just a very thin iron like um, uh, any any kind of iron. You They're just, like copper wires type of thing. Copper wire, it's yeah. a little thicker, right? So yeah. you use that and then uh, make it's like electrical, mostly electrical wire, right? Electrical, most of most of the time it's electrical yeah. wire, and uh, you just make uh, the frame of the car just looking like typical sedan, or you can do trucks, everything. <laughs> and I don't stop that. I don't stop there. A lot of kids when they do that shovel makina, they yeah. stop right there. But I used to uh, uh, make it make a like cardboard or a plastic frame, and then I I cover everything. Um, and sometimes I, 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 I even get fancier, you know, when you do the shovel makina, you have to use the, you know, a stick, right? So that yeah, you yeah. can navigate through it. Well, and wait, it, hold on, you have to explain, so like, what, <laughs> what, what is the stick? Yeah, there's a lot oh, of people boy. who are probably curious, is like, what, what does the stick have anything to do with it? Okay, the shovel makina is a very small thing, like that has, you know, a very scaled down version of a typical car, very small, right? Yep. And then you have to uh, make the wheel too. And then the, I used to make the wheel out of, um, old flip-flops right i cut cut it out make it circle and then i oh, use so you uh, didn't make the wheels out of wire like the no, no i mean some people do that for yeah. me i think to make it more comfortable more no it's rubber right i mean so flip-flop kind of simulates the actual rubber tire so i do that <laughs> and then the car is right you know underneath your feet so you have to be able to drive it you can't get in right so you have to use a very uh, bamboo uh, stick very long that can get up to your hand and you stick it in through the roof, the top of the car, and then uh, you stick it into the front wheel, the, to, the, to the axle, per se. Yep. And then there is the circular uh, wire on top of the, the bamboo, and then you just drive it that way. So when which, I, which when I, you can make a steering wheel out of. So you, you kind of make a steering wheel, a very so long like a steering long wheel. long shaft that comes <laughs> up to your hands. Absolutely. Man, we, we have to post, I think for somebody who might not know exactly what this is. Still, oh, no, no. I mean, this is, we I have, to, not, we have to find feel, some photos and post it. Absolutely. I feel nostalgic right now, my childhood. And, I think uh, I, we should try to make, go to Home Depot and pick up some, some <laughs> copper oh, wires. That would be some. fun. That would be fun. And then sometimes when I was making the truck, I mean, I used to make sedan and in the truck, I used to send um, uh, a thread through the bamboo. And then I, I used to make that that chanat uh, you know, yeah, so, <laughs> so that when you when you pull the thread up, the, the truck just kind of uh, you know dumps its uh, its fright and everything. So 
That was awesome. And then I used to sell it for, you know, my, my boys in the neighborhood. So Vlad Berkhamsa, two dollars, you know, two burr and 50 cents. And if it's a truck, I'm just burning it. That was like a That's lot, a lot of, money. of money, man. Oh, yeah. That's and then people just line up sometimes, you know, they knock my door, my, you know, my, my Gibbi, you know, we call that, right? And then they knock the door and then That's I amazing. say, okay, after four days, the car will be ready. And then they come, they, they give me the money and then they go. So we got uh, to add Shabur Makina, engineer. To your bio as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Seriously, put that on your Twitter bio. <laughs> so, so did, you, did you ever go on that show, the uh, El Jorge with the? I did. I was gonna tell you my second. Are you passion. serious? That oh, was, this was such was, a stab yeah, in the dark. Was... That you really were on the show? Absolutely. That was the second thing. So the first thing is wow. me being very technical, this hardware kind of guy. Second one was I, I used to love painting and drawing, for your surprise. I think it, it came through blood. My dad wow. is a very good sketcher using pencil. He does a lot of amazing stuff. And my uncle is uh, actually the late Skander Bogosian, uh, a world-renowned uh, artist. He was my uncle, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He's uh, my, my father's little brother on on their mother's side he's uh, armenian uh, from his father's side uh-huh. so uh i always liked painting and sketching and doing that kind of stuff so when i was little i don't if i remember correct when i was sixth grade or or even less i had this opportunity to be on uh so uh, i went there with my uh, neighborhood friend who was a very good uh, artist as well we went there you know uh put our you know funny paints and uh, you know drawings on a frame and then Abba Batasfai kind of kissed us, and then we sat in the middle, and then I think it was a 15-minute or 10-minute appearance. So uh, that happened. <laughs> wow. All right, so I have I have a bit of a you know, local celebrity story. So Abba Batasfai lives still to this day about two doors down from us. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So that's... I, and I, I, I see him all the time. That's Never amazing. really worked up the courage to go up to him and talk to him, but I'd love to. He's not doing too well, I think, health-wise, but uh, yeah, he's still, he's still, still there. Yeah, it's amazing. So That's you amazing. Were on the do you remember? Do you remember what you said or what you what you did? Oh gosh, I, I was so nervous. All I remember was I was so nervous I can't even talk. The the other friend of mine was a little bit, you know, not shy, so he kind of did a, a lot of talking for me, and I was just holding my paint, paint on my hand and then just in front of the camera, and it was it was awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I wish I can find that footage right oh, now. Oh, you have I, to I, dig it, it up. Be, I mean, I don't know you where to, to ask. And then a little fast forward about my painting uh, adventure in my childhood. When I was in high school, uh, me and this guy who was on the TV with me and another third person, uh, we Remember did the a, uh, yeah, Yetam Geta was the, 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 the guy's name from, the, from my neighborhood. And the other guy, was uh, his name was Abi Kifle. Right now, he is a, a ground technician at Ethiopian Airlines. And oh. Yetam Geta, I hear, is in South Africa oh. uh, or something. I mean, we, we just, uh, you know, mm. separate ways. So we did this exhibition when I was 11th grade or 10th grade. And then even the most renowned newspaper called Adi Zaman uh, mm. came over and then reported uh, on our exhibition wow. and then did a good section on their under their art section. So I have that copy, actually, the Adi Zaman, a soft copy. So that, that was my amazing. childhood thing. And you know, the, the funny thing is anytime a kid was asked how they came up with the idea to do what they did on the Jushkze, the kids would <laughs> always say, which is like the most literally it doesn't it didn't matter how you know like 
much of a homebody the kid was or not. Like, he could be like the most rowdiest kid. He'd always say, Alabali Mutakamawal. Oh, yeah. I mean, was so real for us. I mean, when they say, Kuchibalu, you know, that was so real. We used to sit in our living room, and I remember when he used to say, Tanasu Kuchibalu, and we'd always like rearrange too, you know? Amazing. When he was even saying, I was like, we used to, you know? That was amazing. It's lovely time. So, where did you go to high school? High school was, I think it has two names, GCA or Abiyot course. It was like by Gotara, right? GCA, uh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I went to high school. What was the culture like there? Like the school? Yeah. You know, a typical <laughs> Ethiopian high school uh, where, I mean, there's there's bullying involved. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is uh, bullying by your, 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 <laughs> your fellow students and abuse by uh, some of the teachers. <laughs> Which, it you, was kind of a rite of passage then, though. It, it wasn't like what bullying is today. Like, you knew, hey, bullying is part of how I become, I you know, earn my stripes. And then Absolutely. when I get older, I can bully the kids younger than me. And it's... It's like everybody knew and people would just have fun. It wasn't like a, I think here it's more of a very serious, like put you down and like very hurtful and very mean thing. There was more of a just sport. Everybody had fun doing that. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, some people suffered. I mean, suffered that. I mean, all boys were not the same, right? And also even girls were, you know, abused by some 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 kids, boys. Yeah, and that was the, you know, I kind of remember you, that as a flashback. Do you flashback. remember bullying anybody? No, actually, I was the victim. Yeah. Do you remember? Okay, like, so do you remember any bullies? Uh, oh yeah, I do. I, I was I was bullied too. So. You want to call them out on the show? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember their names. <laughs> Come on, everybody so, remembers the names of their bullies. Trouble, <laughs> but I always had a, a, a brother skipper who was uh, who was like feared by many. He's uh, he's uh, like a brother and then uh, a guy from my neighborhood who was uh, protecting me from that kind of stuff. So always like, oh, when he's around, nobody want to mess with me, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, you're 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 very successful and you're doing great things so the kind of the jokes on them now right it's like uh, yeah it is it is absolutely <laughs> <laughs> so any any uh fond memories from school and and do you stay in touch with your friends that you grew up with uh, what, what what kind what was the dynamic like you know just average students uh, I, I i was not that serious about school when i immediately when i joined high school i don't know why i mean in my seventh grade eighth grade i was good and in ninth grade, I was just kind of slacking, but it kind of kicked in back again when I was in 11th grade. And, uh, you know, so typical, you know, kids sometimes lazy and then sometimes want to wanna make, want to wanna do good in school. Because one of the third thing I was going to mention you uh, earlier when you asked me what I wanted to be when I was when I was a kid and, and growing up hmm. was uh, an architect. Right. So really, yeah, I, I, I love design. I think that's kind of some of it is ref- kind of getting reflected in me right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at that point, I always wanted to be an interior designer or an architect building an amazing building and, and that kind of stuff. And I knew that to get to get kind of that kind of opportunity uh, in education. You have to do good in matric and uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. high school leaving exam, so uh, yeah, that kind of that kind of typical Ethiopian boy growing up. Interesting. And soccer was a big part of your life, I'm assuming. 
No, it was not to be to be honest. I mean, I just you know via simulation, you 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 voice you know from from your neighborhood go to you know soccer field, you go with them. Uh, it was not one of the biggest part of my life uh, growing up. As I said, if if you put me next to something technical like mechanical mm-hmm. hardware, I can stay there all day. And painting was another thing. So uh, not soccer was not the biggest thing, but I, I enjoyed it. Cool. So what was your in- entrance or when you came, first came to the U.S. It was to pursue college. Yes, you see what happened is here's here's the reality in Ethiopia, right? In Ethiopia, if you make it for uh, uh, the high the ESLEC uh, score, that is what determines your life back home, which right? Is the university placement, exactly. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And how yeah. you score depends on which school you go to and, and what major that they basically assign you to. The whole life. I mean, there's a threshold. If you if you don't score, you know, that point or above, you can't even get into a college, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to retake it or you have to go to a private college or you have to make a little better result and then, you know, get admitted in the nighttime. So uh, 12th grade uh, didn't happen. The, you know, the expected result didn't come. So I, ret- I retook it and... Uh, was able to admit to some private college and then i kind of started you know uh seeking out for you know foreign education i i knew that that is not something that determines your intelligence right the point the grade of course it's good to have yeah. uh, all the people who get great score are intelligent guys smart guys and I, I really appreciate that but that's not all that's not it so uh, i was bold and then uh, you know that that time was internet kind of flourishing in ethiopia a little bit with the dial up you know that you know 50 56 kv kvp <laughs> so i had a, a good friend of mine who had a, a shop so i mean at that point having internet was a luxury so you can't even have it at home so i used to go to his shop and he's my best friend so just get into an internet look for schools subscribe to you know their website and send my application for maybe 25 30 or from and then luckily one of the school uh, was able to get back to me and then we started the process that's how the the whole scholarship partial scholarship uh, get, uh, got started so you took it upon yourself to oh yeah to every, nobody hundred no, told you to do this you just did this yourself of course somebody told me uh, another guy uh, another person that I knew through another friend was able to get a, a partial scholarship and then upon you know in the middle of the discussion the other person said you always want to do this kind of thing solomon so why don't you try it the way this person tried it and i was like okay give me the website how can i do it and then they kind of uh, showed me the way and how to search for you know the websites and how to search for scholarship for international students mm-hmm. so that's how i started it nice and you got you applied into yeah, the, the college name was Jamestown College or University in, in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota. North Dakota? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Did you have any idea where that was? I, uh, no, no. I, I, to be honest, actually, uh, I'll tell you later in what happened in an interview at the American Embassy. But <laughs> yeah, no, I had no idea. <laughs> Off the record? <laughs> uh, no, I can tell you right on sure. here. So, uh, so the, per- the school got back to me. Saying that we can provide, we can facilitate uh, a partial scholarship for the remaining of the, the financials, you have to be responsible. And then I send them the, my educational documentation, and you know the magic happened. The I twenty, right? The, the, nice. the scholarship uh, documentation. They sent me that. I used to go to the postal office every single day to see for <laughs> some paper. I, I nearly. I By nearly... the way, going to the post office, I, I remember <laughs> in Ethiopia, that was like the most fun thing to do because you never knew whether you're going to get a letter from somebody or like a relative or a friend oh my especially God. if you've applied for a college i'm sure that was oh, exciting I, I, 
I nearly got my badge, I mean, in the postal office, I mean, <laughs> every single day uh, I, I used to go there, I had my key just opening the box, you know, hoping for some big envelope. Well, that happened, that one day uh, that happened, I was extremely, extremely happy, so. What I, was your emotions like when you opened that? Did you open it right there or did you wait? Oh yeah, I did or? open it right there and then I was like, I was like, it, it's, it, was, it was something undescribable. Uh, but huh. of course there was the next challenge, which is going to embassy yeah. and con convincing them uh, for, for the visa. But I did not care at that point. I was like, I have the I-20. So it was, tell, tell us about the, there was an interview that was, there something funny happened during the interview? Oh yeah. And uh, so I started the application process for, you know, visa interview application, mm -hmm. made the payment and everything. Good thing is that the interview was on December 22nd, which was around Christmas time. Mm -hmm. I think everybody was happy so got in there and waited for my interview was extremely nervous shaking and sweat and everything <laughs> by the window you know how it goes yeah. and you know the person started asking me questions why I want to go you know to the US to study why not here and I said what I have to say I said it's beyond you know learning the you know or the education it's just international exposure when I want to when I get that exposure and practical kind of experience for myself and the next question was that, do you know where North Dakota is? And I was like, uh, yeah, my, my answer was funny. I said, yeah, it's one of the U.S. states. And it was like, no, do you know that it's just nothing out there? It's just only cows. And do you know exactly what kind of school you go, you're going to? There's nothing there. Population of maybe like 25,000 people. It's nothing. And I was like, oh, and my answer, an instinct kicked in right there. And I was like, oh, actually, that's good. It's just I will be focused on my education. So uh, that's that's good. And I was like, okay, you just. <laughs> nice. And then the next thing was, uh, you know, get back to us after two days. And when I went there, I was told that then I got the visa. Wow. Yeah. And then and then I think I, I might be one of those people who <laughs> left the country like swiftly. I mean, within seven days, I was here. Wow. wow. <laughs> and how soon after that did you start school? You know, that's a long story, right? Because uh, when I came here, as I told you, the partially I was responsible for the payment at mm -hmm. Jamestown University. And uh, when I left Addis, I had $120 in my pocket. You're kidding my, me. Oh, yeah, I'm not kidding you. It's in my, my luggage. So I knew that I was not going to that college immediately. Uh, so I decided to reroute my my journey to Washington, D.C. I had my childhood friend. Uh, his name is Daniel. So he said, I will, I will receive you and then uh, we will see what happens and, uh, you know, we'll find a way. Uh, I was fixated to my education. I knew that the reason, the main reason coming to this, specifically to pursue my higher education, but I did not know how I was going to do it because, as I told you, I did not have the financial means to cover the, the remaining payment. So uh, I decided to come to the States. As I told you, Daniel, my childhood friend, uh, was able to receive me. Uh, such an amazing guy. And... Um, I decided to fix my paper first and go to the next step, which is after making myself uh, stable here, going back to the school. That's how I exactly did it. And where did you go to school? Here, uh, you know, first, you know, my community college, I started that because I think that was a smart move to do, especially for a person, a kid who came uh, from, uh, you know, outside. Yep. So I started my little courses there uh, and uh, worked my way up. Uh, I got admitted to George Mason uh, initially, but as I told you, I was supporting myself financially, uh, you know, while going to school. So their schedule was not permissible for me mm -hmm. to do work and also go to school. So 
I decided to switch to Australia University, uh, which their uh, schedule was very, very uh, accommodating for you know a full-time worker. Uh, because at that time I was working at the, one of the biggest ho- hotel in Washington DC as a front desk agent. Uh, so got in, got into straight after quick stay at George Mason and then finished my uh, bachelor of science degree there in, in science, focusing on computer programming. And it was a clear decision to to pursue computer science, right? You, you knew that that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. I think um, my as I told you, my childhood that. I mean, a lot for technical things and uh, that kind of stuff kind of triggered me to pursue uh, computer programming. I don't know why, not hardware instead of software. <laughs> but at some point I was fascinated by, you know, the whole email, the website and, uh, and all those runs I got exposed to the Internet uh, real. Uh, that's And then also I think my graphic kind of inspiration side of the house triggered that maybe. So when I started doing the programming thing, it was it was kind of interesting, the logical things and uh, the whole thing got me interested. So that's how I kind of rerouted to a software side of the house. What was the college life like coming from Ethiopia? You, do you have any funny stories? Any, you, any encounters you, that you you kind of remember? Yeah. yeah the, I think my, my, my college life is kind of different than a typical college student life because I was not full-time on campus mm. all day kind of guy mm. because I was working. I was a very hard worker and then doing the school on the side, which was not an easy thing to do. But if that was the only way, that's the only way. Uh, but even though uh, saying, having said that, the challenge for international students, uh, it's, it's typical, I'm sure, is the language kind of barrier, right? Mm. You speak English, it's okay, but uh, having having the the confidence level really really low, <laughs> and especially when taking those uh, literature courses, you know, three o three o one, three o two level English and literature courses, writing an essay, standing in front of the classroom and presenting, and then you know reading all those uh, big essays was was a challenge for me, uh, but I learned a lot through it. <laughs> Any funny memories? Any think you know uh, immigrant stories? I have some which I'm not I have sharing, one. But... <laughs> I, have, yeah, I, I, I have one. I have one, and I'm going to tell you that I heard from somebody else. No, no, no. It has to be funny. about you. You can't be. It can't uh, be about I'm, I'm going to tell you one, but can I can I tell you about the other one? I'm okay. going to tell you. Tell us, tell us about both. Right. We want. I want to hear. Oh yeah, yeah. So the first one was uh, my first driving experience. Right, I did not have license, nothing, but you know, a friend of mine that I knew through another friend here. Uh, he had a car and I was like, can I try your car? And it was like, what do you mean? Um, you, you were driving somebody's car without, without a license? Yeah, just in the, in, in the hood, you know, right in the hood, right in, in the hood. So like, can I try it? And it was like five months since I was, you know, since I came, like, are you sure? And I told him I used to drive back home. So what's the big deal? Just let me try it. This is like street in the neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. He was like, he, he let me in and then he was on a passenger seat. And, you know, I, I had that mind frame of, you know, a manual shift, right? Mm-hmm. Where you have the clutch, yep. you know, the brake in the middle, <laughs> and then the the gas pump on the on the, <laughs> on the right side. And I was like, okay, now you just you know put the stick uh, the the shift to D. And all you need to do is release the brake. And I was like, okay. And then my uh, my left leg was just kind of pressing the air, <laughs> thinking that there's a clutch that you know that instinct, right? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Anyway, so when I released the brake, the car started going. And that was the weirdest experience for me because I have never experienced that a car would go when you release the brake. <laughs> and I was like, uh, the car was going, I was panicking. And then what is going on? I asked and was like, it's going. How come the car is going without me, you know, pushing on the, on the, on the gas pedal? Well, that's how it is. <laughs> and then I was, I was going to hit the, you know, the, you know, the wall and I 
in front of me, but he kind of stopped me. I did not even drive it for 25 feet. It was like, no, 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 let's, <laughs> let's not do this one more for now. So that was my funny experience. But one thing I heard through a friend is that about the muffin story. And, uh, the muffin one story. guy, yeah, one guy uh, was eating muffin for the first time, you know, after he came from Addis and, uh, you know, how muffins are, right? And well, by the way, we no. have to disclose this person's name. So just, no, this one, is a, this one is a no. I'm not going to disclose it. But he name, knows but, who he is? This is a true yeah, story? Yeah, knows, you, you know this is oh, an actual this is person? A true story. Yeah, okay. this is a true story. And okay. he ate the whole muffin, including the paper. Because, you know, how the, the <laughs> and then he was like, he was keep chewing it. And he was like, what is this? I can't, I can't chew it. And I was like. Yeah, because oh, you're no. eating it with the paper. Because, you know, oh, muffin, no. how muffins are wrapped in the paper, you can't even tell, right? <laughs> so that was another funny story, the muffin story. I think somebody needs to start like a diaspora's podcast of just funny immigrant funny stories, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all have them. We all have them. Absolutely. So uh, college, your college years were, how, how would you describe your college years? College was undergrad was very busy with, with work and then you know, doing it on the side. And then uh, I finished that when? Um, 2008, I think. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to move into my professional career, right? Uh, at that point, I was already promoted to be a supervisor for front desk at Hyatt Hotel. And when I told them after I graduated and when I was telling him that I'm leaving, actually, they were ready and prepping me for an assistant manager kind of position, I guess. Like, what is going on? Mm. And no, I'm, I finished my uh, first degree and then I'm moving moving on and looking for, you know, software development position. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got lucky. I got a job, my job offer. What was your first job? I, the American Society of Clinical Oncology. Uh, nice. So that's where I worked. Uh, the 2008 back then and uh, I moved on and they were very sad at the hotel mm-hmm. and uh, that's how I started and in 2009 immediately after I, I went, went back to school and then I uh, did my master's while doing full-time job again <laughs> wow. yeah wow. and uh, so now you're at Deloitte um, you're also you also host a TV show part-time um, how do you have the time man when do you do this? And you're a father, you know? Yeah, so I mean, you manage your I, time? it's not easy, Bernard, uh, but I think when you have a sense of purpose and a passion for something, mm-hmm. uh, you, you'll find, you, you make time, you make time. Uh, this, this, this TV show thing uh, was always, uh, not a TV show, but something was in me always, giving back. I did not know how I was going to do it, but always when I finish school, I will, at least I will, you know, establish a website and start blogging about tech and science in Amarinha and, you know, help my people out just a little. Uh, so that, that was, the, that was the biggest drive in me that was just wake, you know, waking me up at night and, and everything. And of course the job was demanding, you know, being a software developer and being a rookie, uh, in that field was not easy. Uh, but when I finished my master's, I kind of got a little bit, bit of a wiggle room not because at least school is done. It's mm-hmm. only work. Uh, so that's how I got into, um, my TV show, but Deloitte, Deloitte work, a consulting world is a little different. You work with clients all the time, uh, a lot of engagement with the clients and a lot of you know, facilitation and presentation and talking. Uh, it's, it's been, it's been well, uh, I learned a lot and I'm still learning. So what's, what's your day to day as a, as a consultant for Deloitte? What does that look like? What kind of projects do you work on? What's Pro- your projects? Yeah. Projects are different and they usually, um, long about six months to a year with one client and you close out that project and you move on to the next one. So uh, it's a technology consulting. So uh, 
I think as a consultant, you wear a lot of hats. Uh, I was hired as a software engineer, but I never touched a single line of code mm. at Deloitte because it's such a big shop. You do a lot of different things and you expect it to be multi, multi, multi-talented. So typical day uh, as a consulting uh, you know, uh, person or professional is you go to the client side. You don't even go to your own headquarters. Right? You go to the client side, you settle in their office and you advise them. They, you are the trusted advisor. For example, if they want to implement or if they want to uh, modernize their data center, example, which is something that, that I did as a consultant, that they had a mainframe and very old servers and everything. So they want to make it cutting edge, like a cloud computing migration or you know very high speed latest technology. So, but they want to do that. It's a multi-million dollar project. So they want to do a feasibility study, uh, performance metrics cost and sustainment and the whole you know, life cycle of that budget. So you go there and you advise them, you present, you assess the risk, you tell them what's coming up and, and that kind of stuff. So you facilitate, you meet meeting, presentation slides, uh, you tell them what we came up with, the market research, what's better, which one to, to buy, which one not to buy, you know, what kind of human capital to hire how to train the people with the new system. That's a typical day uh, as a consultant. And tell us about your show. How, how did you get that started? What was the inspiration? Were there people that helped you along the way? And how did you, how did you do the first episode, for example? Yeah, I never thought uh, that I would become a TV personality, to be honest, Bemnet. Uh, as I told you, the, the delivery mechanism was not clear for me. Uh, one thing I knew was that the drive, the passion was to give back. And I think my only route at that point was just to have a website. But before starting the website, I got frustrated. And the reason being is that am I really going to do an Amharic vlog every single day, Mm. every day? And if I start something, I don't want to quit because that's just my personality. Mm -hmm. So I was in that that kind of of maze. And then I have this jokester friend. uh, His name is Ephraim. And when we have lunch with my guy friends, I always you know, raise one topic or two about technology or science and something that I read about robotics, about future technology, and just talk about it in the mid in the midst of, you know, eating and stuff. And he's he's a jokester and he's like, you know, and the blood button Jimmy the television later kinda kinda stuff. And and uh, I did not pay attention at that point, but after you know a few days, I was like, Hey Ephraim said this and then I started, you know, talking to him and say that and you were saying this thing. What what what's up with that? And he was like, "There's EBS." At that point, I did not know there was EB, what EBS was because mm. it was just about within a year of their establishment. And I was like, "Oh, actually, they are my family." I think he he is of their family through mm. marriage. His cousin is. Oh, I know that. Know, friend. That, okay. Yeah, yeah. His 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 cousin is a wife of one of the EBS yes, owners yes, leadership, yes. and and he said, "I can arrange a meeting for you if you have a solid idea. If you know what you're presenting, I can arrange a meeting for you." I told him, give me a couple of weeks. I put together my, I, I wore my consultant hat, put together a very good slide. And I said, I'm ready. Just put, 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 to, put the, put the appointment for me. And then uh, one Tuesday night after work on my suit, my consultant suit, <laughs> I went there, opened my computer, you know, presented uh, my idea on the projector. And then they were, they really liked it. They were sold. And then they were like, when can you start this show? And that's how it started. And within two months, the show started. This wow. was back in 2012. And how many episodes are you in now? About 90-something, actually. I think I'm going to hit 100 very soon. Who's, who's the most um, impressive or somebody who made the biggest impression on you out of all the guests that you've had? That, all of them have a, a very, very, very different footprint. Uh, you know, a very 
each of them have a very inspiring journey. Uh, I, I really cannot even have a bias one over the other, or, or you know. But Dr. Uh, Brooklock, or he's one of the NASA scientists and senior uh, guy at the NASA, and he his interview for some reason was one of the unique for me. I think part of it was that he invited me over to NASA. That was an amazing experience for me to go there and see with on my bare eyes what's going on when they built uh, the, the the satellites and the shuttles together. Mm. I interviewed him on the ground. So that, that was a very, very unique experience for me. But other than that, all the guests have a, a very unique and amazing, inspiring journey. Still. Being that you have a love for technology and science, is your house one of those smart uh, <laughs> connected houses? You, know, you, know, you, have, you, you can unlock your door with your phone, that kind of stuff? Uh, and you can see that I'm tickled by that, right? <laughs> I, always, I always wanted to do that and keep procrastinating. I, I love design, so I kind of do my own you know, furniture and then design the painting, the lighting. That is still on the, on the book, on the paper. That's to-do list. I always want to do uh, you know, this you know, uh, smart, e, a smart home, right? That mm -hmm. Exactly what you said, opening the door and looking who's knocking my door from office from my iPhone and stuff. And I still have that on my, on my paper. I think it's going to happen soon. It's crazy. I have a friend who has a completely connected house. And so if the UPS guy comes, you can see him on the camera. Oh, yeah. Talk to him. Oh, yeah. Unlock the door for him. Have him drop the package in and then lock the door behind him. No, to your surprise, it's not, it's not, it's not it's complicated. Not it's a very easy thing. It's, it's, you can even do it yourself after buying the kits and everything. Yeah. You can do it yourself. You can arrange your thermostat. From, uh, from office, so when you get in the house, if it's summer, it keeps cool for you. And then if it's uh, winter, it warm just before you get in. All these things, are, they're, they're easy to do and fun to do, which I will do it at some point. Nice. So you touched a little bit about your painting and some of the other passions that you have. You know, you're, you're a drummer, you're, you also play the piano. You know, what other passions do you have? I want to know. I think uh, earlier I told you that I, I had a passion and love for painting, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then that kind of fell away. I don't know why. After high school, after that exhibition, and especially after I came here, completely stopped it. I don't know why. But good thing is that I had the balance in art. So I got into this music thing. Uh, so that kind of balanced out. So I started playing piano in the church. Uh, when I was in high school, I started going to evangelical church. So as you know, in the church setting, in the evangelical church setting, there's so music. You learned, you learned in the church? Oh, yeah. In my teenage uh, uh, time at the church, uh, when I first saw a piano or a keyboard Which physically, uh, the name of the church was Maserata Christos. Hmm. So I, before that, I, I, I've never seen a piano or a keyboard with my bare eyes, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I touched it, and then I pushed the button, and then produced a sound. I got so excited. So... Usually after the musicians left, I kind of sneak in and then touch the keyboard. And when nobody's around, because they might say, oh, you don't know how to play. Get out of here. You, know, kind of, <laughs> you, you, you are scared of that when you see the seniors. So kind of, uh, you know, um, make my way in. And then at some point I got into a choir and, and I, I learned the piano by myself. Uh, at some point I took a crash course for piano and guitar for a couple of months. That kind of helped. And then started playing piano. So kind of uh, so self-taught. Oh yeah, for wow. the for ninety five percent of uh, you know, it, uh, I learned it by myself. Wow! And the drumming kind of has a, a related story. So uh, if you know about that, uh, how keyboard works, right? The the grand piano. There's white is keys on. and black keys. <laughs> okay, let, let, let me kinda, give a quick. I kind of have a general idea. Of how it works. <laughs> let me give a, a quick one on one. Right, a piano <laughs> that we know, the grand piano, the big thing. 
it's it's an acoustic sound. You don't need to have any electric plugged into it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't produce rhythm. Rhythm is like the rhythm, right? Yeah. It just produces piano. That's yeah. it. But the electronic keyboard not only produces the piano, but it simulates like saxophone or mm-hmm. guitar and any other thing. And on top of that, yeah, it synthesizes. And on top of that, it produces the rhythm for you, as if the whole band is playing, right? So. When I was playing that electronic keyboard or synthesizer, mm-hmm. I was in love with the rhythm section of the house. So I open it and then it, it plays for you the pre-programmed rhythms, the discos, the technos and whatnot. But I was not interested in those. So I knew that at some point, the keyboards, you can program them in such a way that you want. And you know, the Ethiopian kind of rhythm is it's different. We, it, it has a different color, right? The chikchika and the mm-hmm. abashinya. Mm-hmm. So I started recording that by myself. So when I touch it, it produces the kick and the, 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 the percussion, all the drum instruments. And then I started recording it and then kind of heard a good sound. So the rhythm, the love of rhythm started at, at that point. But there was no access for drum in Ethiopia, when I was in Ethiopia. So I started learning drum after I came to the States. Interesting. Have you played with any famous Ethiopian musicians? Uh, no. I mean, I, I've always played uh, music. In the church setting, so back home, yeah, like choir, famous, just famous, like uh, you know, singers, uh, singers, yeah. Uh, here, church. back home, I was just in a choir, but yeah. uh, after I came here, especially after I got into drumming, mm-hmm. which was like about five years ago, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I had an opportunity to play with uh, some of the gospel singers, uh, nice. like the Lilik Alkidan and, oh, uh, nice. and other, other guys. Yeah. yeah, I still play drums. I have a drum at my house. I have a keyboard at my house. And, uh, you know, I have a guitar at my house. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So tell us about this project that you're working on. You're writing a book. What is it about? And uh, can you give us a sneak peek of, of some of the content? Absolutely. I mean, the book, uh, it's, it's going to be an Amharic, by the way. You mentioned it earlier. Uh, when I started the show, I think it was one of the unique kind of sh- Amharic show, raising science and technology topic in Amharic. Mm-hmm. And after some period of time right now, as we speak, I said, if I can write a book in Amarinya, I can reach out to even more people. Mm. Uh, and I know it was challenging, especially finding the right term to write in Amarinya. And you need to be a, a writer to, to put together a book. And I kind of said that challenge to myself. It's not only a challenge. It's, a, it's Again, it's a drive. It's a passion to reach out to you know, as many as people you can and providing something that was never there. So... That was actually the challenge that I set up for myself. Uh, and the content is actually, it's in science and technology. Uh, I hope that it would be a read for anyone. Uh, and then colleges even can use it as a very light version of reference. And anyone who's curious about science and technology, about the journey of what happened in the past, what's going on right now, and then what's coming up in the future. Uh, oh, so you I do ca- like a historical part of it. It, it, it has, for the most part, it's historical and then uh, a general knowledge, right? What mm-hmm. happened, who, what, where, how. And also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my own uh, philosophical perspective to it and uh, what, what is the ramification of science and technology? And where, where is it taking us in the future? And, uh, uh, and in its role in developing nations, I want to I wanna, I wanna bring the picture of Ethiopia in that in this uh, digital age and where are we heading down the road uh, in the future. So personal question, how do you feel about it? Because I honestly have a love-hate relationship with technology. On one hand, I completely rely on it. You know, what I do for a living, I'm on a computer like constantly. Um, mm. uh, you know, I, I have like tons of apps. Anybody who knows me has seen my phone. 
knows that I'm a, an app hoarder. But I also don't like that I'm, I'm so dependent on it. And I see kids who are using phones and tablets now, and, and it's as if, like, nobody knows how to use paper and a pencil or, or a pen anymore, or, or there's no interpersonal contact anymore. It's just everything is revolving around technology. How do you feel about it? I, I completely agree with Amnet. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a technology and science enthusiast. I mean, uh, I personally believe that its benefit kind of uh, uh, weighs way above its disadvantage, uh, but it's destructive in many, in many ways, uh, right? Exactly what you said, kind of stole our social value, our, our, our humanness, right? And... Um, and the other thing is that it's taking away uh, what people can do. Of course, it's enhancing, it's productive, it's doing a lot of stuff. But with with the things that are happening around artificial intelligence and robotics, mm-hmm. uh, things are kind of scary in the future. Actually, I, if you heard uh, news very recently, the first uh, robot uh, lawyer was hired by Lover. <laughs> so it's fully artificial intelligence. It has, it's empowered by uh, IBM's Watson. Mm-hmm. So oh, it, does, yeah. it, do, it does full litigation. Uh, and uh, there are wow. robots in the factory. Wow. And a few years back, I mean, factory car was assembled fully by uh, humans, even though there's automation. But right now, uh, human being barely touch uh, car production. Um, so in that regard, it's kind of scary. It has that downside uh, side of the house. but it is. It is what it is. I think we have to keep the balance. Keep the I, personally. You can make a decision. You can say yeah. I don't want to be, you know, overtaken by technology. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to steal my quality time from spending time with a family, with with the society, conversing, you know, smelling the paper. You know, when you read a yeah. book, a paper book, it kind of is different experience. Yeah. Uh, but we sometimes we are, you know, slaves of technology. I mean, the addiction of social media and. Uh, the amount of time we spend uh, in the digital space is kind of scary instead of, you know, breathing fresh air and drinking coffee. If you see it, if you go out with friends on lunch or dinner or for a coffee, have you noticed that everybody stares at the, uh, on their phone for everybody. 10, 15 minutes like without talking to each other? sucked by their phone. Yeah. It's, I mean, sometimes it happens to me too. Most of the times it happens. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm guilty of it. I, I Sometimes some of my friends get mad at me actually for spending time on my phone while my friends are around the table. So it's... Have you heard of the the digital sabbatical? So some people... No, I have not. So some people (laughs) will take like a digital sabbatical weekend. So they'll like, they won't use any devices over the weekend uh, or they'll actually go away and just like shut off everything. And it's... uh, That's not a bad idea. Maybe, you know, deactivating, you know, our (laughs) digital, you know, uh, know, presence and uh, enjoy some uh, real life maybe. (laughs) So So I have another question. So do yes. you do you think that there's going to be a point where the advantages of technology will or the disadvantages of 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 being technologically advanced and dependent are going to outweigh the advantages? I mean, case in point, I remember watching an interview of Elon Musk talking about um artificial intelligence and he pretty much said like literally like nobody knows the ramifications of of artificial intelligence nobody really knows the effects of it and the power that it can have over us and it's like opening a pandora's box i'm, I'm paraphrasing here um but do you feel like that there is a point that we should a threshold that we should not cross 
Uh, your, to your point, not only Elon Musk, actually, uh, Bill Gates and uh, the very uh, famous physici- uh, physicist um, Stephen Hawking expressed the same concern, saying that if we don't have a control around artificial intelligence, they can take over humans. It's uh, like Skynet uh, from Terminator. Yeah, Skynet. <laughs> yeah, and also you heard about the concept of by the futurist um, uh, Ray Kurzweil, uh, singularity t- theory. You know, at some point, artificial intelligence is gonna is gonna acquire consciousness and take over humans. I think that's too ambitious, too science fictionish for me. But still, I mean, without even going that far, I mean, we can we can fall under the trap of artificial intelligence if we don't, you know, make the demarcation and you know, it, you know draw the, the, the line on the sand saying that this is up to where we will allow artificial intelligence to, to help humans not, yeah. not to be under them. So it's, it's a very complicated topic, but I, I share their concern. I watched a movie sometime last year which uh, dealt with that whole uh, artificial intelligence having consciousness. Um, which one? Uh, Transcendent? No. Transcendence? Was, uh, this one was, it seemed like more of an independent movie, but it was, uh, it was a big production movie. It was, it was this guy who was, was building this robot, and he mm-hmm. had this engineer come over and basically test it. Like, a, uh, what was it called? It's, oh, uh, it's called Machina or Ex Machina. No. Oh. Have you okay. seen it? It's no, I have not. It's amazing. It's amazing, and it's also scary. So basically, sure this, this robot, I don't, I don't want to give away the ending, but. He, he builds this robot that, that, has, that is based on artificial intelligence, all this technology that's available now. And he you know, gives it uh, a consciousness, I guess. Um, wow. You have, you have, so what are your top three sci-fi books and movies? You have a list? Trans, uh, Transcendence is uh, in the, the Born the born, uh, born series, the whole yeah, thing. Nice. And, uh, and uh, I like Iron Man, for, for your, to your yes. surprise. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> of course. Um, cool. Well, tell us, like, do you have any advice for, for somebody who's pursuing, they're thinking about pursuing a career in either computer science or the technology industry, you, you know, somebody who, who thinks that they can, they should get into it or, or maybe they don't know, or somebody who's, you know, applying for colleges or, you know, somebody who's thinking about changing their field. Do you have any advice for people like that? I think uh, it's better to give kind of a general advice. I think through that, maybe they, they might capture some points towards, you know, uh, their te- the technology or the science aspect. I think discovering, discovering oneself in, at the young age is a key for everything. And then, and then I think learning through questions, right? Just keep learning to ask questions. And, in, and in, it, it is my belief that, you know, getting a solution starts from asking, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, if you start doing that, you will know for sure that where you, you fall in, in life and, you know, in your career in education, is it a science uh, and within science, which one I need to focus or technology or am I an art person? Uh, of course, everybody has a talent, but I think the talent can be refined and reshaped and then, you know, be laser focused through uh, discovering yourself and asking questions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think having a sense of purpose in whatever we do and, uh, and having a drive and having a passion to the things we do uh, will, will take us a long way. And that's, that's how I see it. And, and I think if you want to make the most out of uh, your life, I think for, this, is, this applies for anyone, we need to set a goal, right? And it might not be fully achievable. Uh, you might be too ambitious. People might mock you, might laugh at you. But we, uh, let's take a risk and lay out a plan and focus on that and see what happens. And uh, another thing that I, I that I see in, in my life, I think a lot of people will see that, and this is particularly kind of scary thing for we Ethiopians, including myself. We are scared of failure, 
I mean, we should never be afraid of failing because we will fail at some point, right? So it just means that I, I think failing for me and for everybody, it just means that we are trying and we are on our way to some sort of success, however we define it. Uh, and we can always remember what uh, Thomas Edison said, you know, that permanent, right? Uh, upon inventing his light bulb, he said, uh, I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> so this is, this, is, this is very serious. You know, that, that's how we, uh, he gave us light. Uh, so uh, having a discipline and also in focus by setting our eyes on the prize, not to the hype or surrounding or, you know, the, the praise is, is very key. Uh, in the process, I think if we respect others, if we listen to uh, you know others, and then if we beg to defer uh, in respect, uh, that is that will take us a long way. And attitude uh, and humble heart, I think, will take everyone a long way. Mm. And for youngsters, especially having a mentor is a key thing. A lot of us, uh, I know, our potential would be just buried and not come out with the lack of you know mentors and uh, a proper guidance so uh, education work and life by itself can be frustrating and terrifying mm. especially for younger so i think finding a role model and a mentor that can uh, uh, that can help us out and we, where we look at to uh, and follow their path and seek advice will take uh, us a long journey we should not take anything for granted our education our knowledge people around us uh, I think we need to uh, take advantage of that and make the best out of it. The one thing that I learned, and, and this might be helpful for a lot of people, is that let us not uh, associate ourselves with people who won't help uh, us. This is not a selfish advice, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you have to be around people with the same drive, with the same passion, with the same purpose. Uh, so uh, that is my my advice. And tomorrow is not guaranteed. So let's make the best out of it uh, today. There's a phrase that I remember somebody telling me once is it's hard to fly like an eagle when you're surrounding yourself with turkeys uh, that's very true <laughs> that is very true but it's, it might sound like a you know a selfish thing because I, if you say oh if i'm looking for an eagle who's going to help out you know, <laughs> the, 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 the dove and, and, yeah, and whatnot but uh, unfortunately that's uh, that's a reality and then uh, you can still help i mean by being eagle you can still help uh, the others but absolutely not you know that's how i see it absolutely so <laughs> outside of the book that you're working on what does the future have to hold? Do you have any projects that you're anticipating, things that you want to do? And, and what are those? Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm an ambitious guy. I think I want to do a lot of things, especially back home. I think my, uh, I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I feel like I can contribute a lot. I can give back a lot back home. I mean, here there are a lot of good people, a lot of good resources here. So that's, that's one of the purposes of you know, starting the show so that I can give something. Uh, in the future, I want to do something practical, practical projects in, in, around science and technology. But I think, you know, living here and then thinking that kind of stuff back home, uh, my personal situation, you know, uh, as you mentioned it, you know, my daughter uh, that I love and adore so much uh, uh, that she is my first priority right now. Nothing can, uh, you know, take a uh, precedence over her so that can be limiting which is absolutely fine but yes. you know god willing in the future uh, i want to do something some project back home uh, but we'll see and time will tell that's fantastic solomon so for people who want to reach out to you and, and maybe might have some questions for you or some some things that they want to talk to you about how do they get a hold of you uh i'm available i'm very active on social media because of the show um, yes you are and- <laughs> I have a website. The website it. is just uh, the website is just uh, 
opening with my my show at uh, TikTokwithSolomon.com. Uh, there they can find me. They can contact me through that. But I'm I'm very very available through my email. I can provide two emails: uh, Solomon at ebstv.tv and uh, my personal email solocasa at gmail.com. And my Facebook official Facebook for my show uh, is uh, facebook.com slash TikTokwithSolomon. There they can I can engage with my viewers. There they can inbox me there, and in all this means Twitter. Um, I have a Twitter handle, TikTok. We saw uh, in all that. I have Instagram. They can find me anywhere if they put in a keyword. <laughs> uh, I can I can guarantee that they can find me there. Awesome, awesome, Solomon. It's been uh, it's been fun talking to you, man. I, I, and I, I can't tell you um, just how how impressed I am with what you've done in such a short period of time, and it's it's really encouraging to see people that are in our community that are that are really trying to make a difference, really trying to educate and connect people and, 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 and do uh, more than just, you know, kind of make a living and, and uh, uh, accumulate wealth. So thank you for the show and your contribution to uh, the community. And we wish you the best of luck. Uh, thank you so much for having me, Bermanet. I really appreciate uh, what you do too. Uh, I mean, this is another great uh, thing that that can help our community uh, inspired and uh, uh, you know feeling motivated to do something and then to to achieve a lot of things. Just not only for ourselves, but for for others. So uh, keep on doing uh, what you're doing on Ethios uh, uh, and uh, uh, good job, Bermanet. Thank you. I'm, I'm really honored. I'm really honored to be on your show. Thank you, sir. But um, thank you. To find out more about my guest and to subscribe to the podcast, please visit www.ethiospodcast.com.